Hello and welcome to Phil's Breakfast Metal episode 70. So this episode is going to be a bit of an experiment. Um, after doing a couple of deep dive episodes, I've had a few requests for other bands people wanted me to go through like the whole discography of. And one of those uh, listener Rowan requested was Hate Eternal. So I didn't actually have a particularly deep knowledge of this band ahead of time. Like they're obviously aware of them, they're kind of a legendary group, but... I wasn't really kind of deeply in love with any one of their albums. I'd heard a lot in passing, but never really dedicated enough time to the band. So this episode is going to be more of me sort of giving my thoughts on on the music. And, you know, I'll throw in a bit of the history I've managed to learn over the last week or so in there. But this is, yeah, going to be me discussing my thoughts on these albums as, you know, closer to first appraisals rather than stuff I know really inside out like uh, for example the Morbid Angel episode I did a couple of months back obviously there'll be some overlap between those two. Also if you're not aware of Rowan he's um, at Man vs Playlist on Twitter and he does some writing for heaviestofart.com the guy's an absolutely fantastic writer and that website's like a really great resource for like interviews and really in-depth album reviews, fantastic dissections so yeah, definitely follow him on Twitter. The guy is an absolutely fantastic writer. So um, when we're talking about Hate Eternal, the discussion is really going to centre around the main man behind that, Eric Rutan. And the logical point to start the story of this one is probably with his first real notable metal band, Ripping Corpse. So Ripping Corpse started back in 1987 in New Jersey. And they they played like a kind of mixture of sort of thrashy death metal like it's definitely leaning heavier into the death side but yeah there's still a little bit of like a thrash energy to it and they very quickly put out a series of free demos uh death warmed over splattered remains and then in 1990 the glorious depravity the glorious depravity was a point where uh eric at about 20 years old joined the band as like second guitarist I'm not going to go into these demos in too much detail. I, I did give them a, a listen over. For the most part, most of these songs are just going to appear in a better form on the album. There's a few notable moments, stuff like uh, on Splatter's Remains, there's a track called uh, Exhumation Day, which is a really cool song. But the overall production of the demo, it, it, it's rough as hell. It, it very much sounds like a demo. Interestingly enough, the 1990 demo... While the technicality is, like, shot up massively, like, the quality of the guitar playing and drumming is really impressive, the whole thing has this kind of feeling of being recorded at the end of a tunnel. It's like like you're in a different room to someone playing Dreaming of the Dead. While the demos certainly have their qualities, they're no Morbid Reich or something like that. I think, um, basically, this is a band. Pick up the album and maybe go back to them if you're really desperate. But yeah, obviously that brings us on to the album. So in 1991, Ripping Corpse got together for their first and only full-length Dreaming with the Dead. So this album was actually the uh, main reason I agreed to do this episode, because I've never really had uh, a good platform to talk about this one, but an Eric Rutan or Hate Eternal episode seems like the perfect point to put this in. So this is one of those really interesting kind of... I wouldn't quite say Forgotten Gems, because they're kind of... Ripping Corpse kind of get their due these days, but they were definitely, like, a band probably slightly overlooked for not being from the Florida scene, being from New Jersey, in fact. Uh, there's there's stuff about this, like, it's got a level of technicality, you know, not completely dissimilar from bands like Atheist, 
but where atheists have like the kind of jazzy and melodic influences, Ripping Corpse are just nasty and horrible. For a band with fresh influence, I often like the fresh death thing, you often think, oh, this is going to be kind of um, more accessible in a way, like less grim. But actually, somewhere in these songs, like they just use that kind of freshness just to make everything a bit more gross and nasty the whole album has this really creeping horrible feel to it all the songs are like these really short to the point things as well like it's very that um sort of rain in blood structure of just a shit ton of riffs up front like just blast straight through i mean it's runtime's only only 34 minutes i think that does sit it um amazingly in the thrash camp actually is the opener sweetness basically starts with a riff incredibly similar to anthrax's among the living but then sort of goes off in a completely different direction so um vocalist scott roof has quite a unique approach he does this sort of like kind of snarl it's like not a full death growl or anything like that but it's it's just like a kind of intense vocal noise he also occasionally throws in these like super high-pitched like agent steel style screams and i believe there's like some low backing vocals um from a from another vocalist who who isn't credited on this but i do believe there's another vocalist adding that his lower voice that occasionally occasionally kind of comes together with those moments Despite a short runtime, the album's actually quite varied in terms of pacing. Like, for the most, the start of the album, tracks like Anti-God or Glorious Depravity, these are pretty fast, like, blast beat heavy tracks. But then in Beyond Humanity, things slow to a proper kind of, like, doomy pace with, um, like, a quite melodic lead over the top of it. But then as that song ends, we go into Feeling Pleasure Through Pain, which is one of the more aggressive tracks on the album. I said blast piece earlier. I don't know if these quite count. I don't think it's full blasting, but the drum performance on this album is really intense. Like There is that really quick snare and uh, double pedal work by drummer Brandon Thomas. And he does a thing I really like as well of just throwing in absolutely tons of fills or like constantly varying stuff. Like The whole band are really technically gifted on that front and and use it just to make complex interesting riffs throughout something that's interesting about this actually is the choice of the guitar tone the guitars to me don't sound particularly down tuned and it's another thing that gives this like a leaning or like an edge of thrash to it there's just a kind of it's still like kind of rough and kind of nasty guitar tone but yeah, they don't sound as massive and chunky as, say, you know, like your obituaries or or bands like that. It's far more kind of, like, almost um, a similar tone to some of those early, like, Sodom albums, stuff like that. Another interesting thing from this album is the lyrical matter. As I mentioned, Scott Roof doesn't have a particularly guttural voice. It's more of a kind of snarl. And you can, you can get a sense of the lyrics for quite a lot of this. And the main kind of focus of the lyrical matter is this kind of like Lovecraftian stuff, which nicely separates it from a lot of thrash. Like none of the lyrics on this album come off across as particularly goofy or silly. Like 
certainly of its time, but it actually sounds pretty cool throughout. There's a couple of moments that certainly give away the age of this album. Um, there's, I can't remember which track it was in, but there's a few moments of like that sound of a cymbal reversed, which was definitely very popular in this era of like early death metal. Also, never been a big fan of the band logo or the album cover. It's just a bit... It's a bit naff. Like, they don't even really have a proper logo. It's just a kind of fun font. But that's minor criticism. As a whole, like, this was a really impressive album. And it does a thing I'm always fond of, of ending on a really impressive track. The final track, uh, Seduction of the Innocent, has this amazing kind of shredding intro that builds up into the riffs. And, yeah, just a perfect closer to the album. Something I found kind of interesting flicking through the lyric book is the two guitarists, Eric Rutan and Sean Kelly, are um, accredited with solos throughout, which is interesting because the guitar work is so incredibly technical. It seems kind of funny pointing to a particular bit of it and going, oh yeah, that was that was Sean being impressive in that moment. Because you give the, give the album, like, let it go on 30 seconds from, the, from that point, and one of the riffs will include a lick that is quicker than anything in the solo or more flashy. So, I don't know, I thought that was an interesting aside. It's about like this is always strange for them to actually credit the solos. But anyway, if you've never heard Ripping Corpse before, this is certainly an interesting bit of death metal history that I'd highly advise adding to your collection.
So sadly, Ripping Corpse were very short-lived. Not long after this point, um, Eric Rutan was poached to join Morbid Angel in 1993. Ripping Corpse had been doing a few gigs and got known, and they'd actually been able to support, you know, massive death metal bands at that time, like Morbid Angel. But before that, um, they did manage to get out... I don't know if it's strictly even an official release, but they have the EP Industry, which very much feels like a follow-up demo. But Industry is is a fascinating thing to pick up still, because they were onto something fairly unique with this like hyper-technical, aggressive, death-thrash sound they had. And Industry is one of those like really painful, oh, this was so good, if only the full album had come together. Um... Because just everything was upped on it. It got more intense. The riffing was more complex. The lead guitar work was really impressive. But um, that, sadly, that that ten minutes of music is all we've got. And the the final, the, the album they're working on before Eric left. And um, uh, Scott also left to go to Berklee College of Music. The that's That's the end of it. I think there might be some kind of unfinished demos floating around but they you know never got vocals never quite put together and it's a shame because the band were as i say under something fairly unique although this was the end for ripping corpse nearly all the members involved went on to do other stuff obviously we'll be following eric's career through this podcast but most of the other members went on to form dim mac who have who are still active and got four albums under their belts at this point so from 93 to 1996 Eric Rutan was touring with Morbid Angel. Uh, he moved down to Florida to be based closer to the band. And this must have been an incredible trial for his skills. Like, he had to step up and learn a famously technical band's entire set, ready to perform live in front of much bigger crowds than he would have been playing with Ripping Corpse. And he actually recorded on the Domination album with them and their live album, Entangled in Chaos. He would part ways with the band in 1996. Also, around this time, he studied at the Institute of Audio Research in New York, which I think will play into a lot of his studio work, as many of you will probably be aware, Eric Rutan um, also records a huge amount of bands and has an incredibly good ear for it, I believe, trained from this point in time. So that brings us up to 1997, where Eric Rutan would form Hate Eternal, uh, first just him doing guitar and vocals and drummer Tim Young who was only about 19 at this point in time but already like an incredible drumming talent if you're not aware this guy has gone on to kind of be like a hired gun for a lot of bands he's often the guy that comes in when a band's lost a legendary drummer particularly like in recent years joining up with Morbid Angel and he's now still in Iron Morbid but he's played with other stuff like Decrepit Birth he's just an absolutely fantastic death metal drummer and that same year they put out the 10 track uh, demo or promo promo 97 which um, is all up on YouTube and I actually fucking love this. Like, I was completely unaware of, as I say, quite a lot of Hater Tunnel's discography. So this um, this came out of left field. And even the stuff I was familiar with, this sounds totally different to it. Um, there's, like, just a real intensity to it. At its core, 
I'd say it's more or less morbid angel worship. Like, but Eric Rutten, this is his first real trial as a vocalist. And his vocal performance in this sounds nothing like anything else he would do. It's completely unhinged. It's in this much higher register where he keeps flicking back and forth between a ton of different styles. Um, the drum performance is, uh, is like amazing. The whole thing's quite raw, but it, I, don't know, I think it just works. And interestingly enough, um, this would be a recurring theme for the band, but the bass was played by Alex Webster. Not quite sure how they managed to get him on board for this. Uh, the only track from this that actually made its way to the the debut full-length Conquering the Throne is the final one, uh, Saturated Interjection. But yeah, the whole thing is well worth a listen, particularly for that vocal performance. But it's a very different sound to what we'd get on that album. The next thing Hate Eternal will release is their debut album proper, Conquering the Throne, in 1999. By this time, Hate Eternal had formed into a full four-piece band with Doug Cerrito of early suffocation fame on guitar and Jared Anderson on bass and backing vocals, adding another texture to the the kind of hate eternal sound. So as I say, wasn't so familiar with um, this band at this point in time. And going through their seven albums, for me, this is the one that I don't think has aged quite so well. Considering this point in time, it's really interesting. Like, the core of the sound is very similar to Morbid Angel's Gateways to Annihilation, which um, Eric would be on and comes out a year after this. But to my mind, it's just a band not quite as good as Morbid Angel doing a very Morbid Angel kind of sound. Eric's changed his vocal style up from um, the kind of that kind of unhinged shrieking he was doing on the promo to this more like kind of Dave Vincent worship vocal. And I believe Jared adds like a higher kind of backing scream. And he's credited with backing on that vocal is less common. The backing scream I really like. The kind of angry Dave Vincent vocals are okay, but his voice would evolve onto much better things in the future. The, yeah, the whole album has that really morbid angelly feel. The the mix of it has the drums very like front and center. All the leads are real like tray worship. With this album, we see this a start of a lot of things. Like this is one of the really early albums Eric's recorded at I assume Manor Studios. I think it was founded by this point in time. Yeah, so he has his own studio in Florida where he'd gone to record a ton of bands and. You can see, much like his vocals were gone to much better things, so would his recording. Like, this is an album where essentially a very good product is let down for me because I just don't like the sound of it. The Particularly the drums are what ruins it. Like, Tim's double kick work is absolutely excellent on this album, but the way the kicks are mixed is just this really annoying, like, quite hollow thump like i there's something just wrong about the kick drum sound it actually puts me in mind of uh christian's conquerors of armageddon which will come out next year and is also recorded by eric and it was one of my i think the worst drum sound i've ever heard on an album this isn't quite that bad but uh, i just can't get into it in that same way and i know it's a really loved album so i feel like I'm doing it a disservice, but yeah, while going through Hate Eternal's discography, this was the 
this is the moment that sort of felt most dated. Now, don't get me wrong, there is absolutely excellent work on it. Uh, tracks like Dogma Condemned, really amazing. Um, and it, you know, keeps interesting stuff right until the dying moments, the second last track. Darkness by Oath I found to be a real highlight. If you can get past the sound of it, there is some really interesting stuff in here. And, you know, it's one of those lineups that's quite star-studded featuring people, you know, being in Morbid Angel, Suffocation. This is, you know, coming together of almost like a death metal supergroup at this point. <laughs> see the start of Eric seemingly never sleeping. Uh, he rejoins Morbid Angel from 1999 to 2002, touring and putting out the the legendary Gateways of Annihilation album, which I think the reason I'm so harsh on Conquering the Throne, despite it being, like, it, it, it is a very good album, is because for me, I don't see why I'd ever go back and put that on over Gateways, like, being the, the, the similarities between them that one just sort of edged it out. 
But yes, yeah, so on top of that, he has recorded numerous bands at this point, as I aforementioned, Christian, Brazil's Abhorrence, to name a couple, and is working on a second project, uh, the the short-lived Alas, with their one and only album, Absolute Purity, from 2001. And I'm afraid this is the one point where I've let you down as listeners. I couldn't get through this album. Um, it's It was just... Re- I got about 10 minutes in and had to stop. So I'd say this is kind of somewhere in the realm of somewhere between like power metal, gothic metal, and progressive, with Eric playing guitar. I believe there's another member of Ripping Corpse in it. And a kind of semi-operatic female vocalist and two things kind of killed this for me the guitar tone on it is kind of weedy so in some of the riffs where things are a bit heavier it doesn't have the punch you feel like the riff should have but the thing that really did it is i just could not get past the vocals now i'm all for some amazing like clean female vocals and stuff you know i'm a big fan of things like the project hate like that's not normally a barrier to entry, but for me, this one just did not work for me. It's just a shame, because I, I love the idea of the the duality of him being in Morbid Angel, releasing like kind of his legendary early Hate Eternal albums, but also writing something this completely removed from that sound. But yeah, worth worth going to have a look. Maybe it'll be more for, for you than it, it was for me. So this brings us on to 2002's uh, second like follow-up album for Hate Eternal, King of All Kings. And this is the point where I suddenly went like, oh yeah, that's Hate Eternal. I could suddenly spot a load of the hallmarks of their sound. So at this stage, the lineup slimmed down to a three-piece, which would they would remain to this day. Jared Anderson still doing bass and backing vocals. Um, but now um, Derek Roddy, or Derek One Take Roddy, as he's recorded in the liner notes for this, has taken over on drums. And he's a guy that sort of became legendary around this era for being just an absolute blast beat king. And this album is just intense as all hell. Like, after the kind of pointless uh, our beckoning intro, we get the title track, King of All Kings, which is just an absolute bludgeoning. And everything's been stepped up on this album from the last... Uh, Eric Rutan's really starting to find his own voice as a singer, but also as a guitarist. He's, um, his guitar work is so much more recognisable. His solos don't sound anything like Trey's anymore. He's starting to kind of create his own signature style. Jared's backing vocals now sync more nicely with his own. They've been picked up by Eric Records as well at this stage, which was probably, you know, good for getting them out there. The The recording job is much improved. I still think there are serious issues with the drum sound on this album. It's it, There's something that I don't love about it, but uh, Derek's performance over Tim on the previous album, considering how good a drummer Tim was for that age, is it, just light years ahead of it it's absolutely kind of front and center of this album just punishing ever-changing extremely fast and brutal it just it's exactly what you want from a kind of technical death metal band like this because hate eternal sound is very neatly 
moved from that kind of morbid angel into a more brutal, more technical sound this album. It still has that super focused nature about it. Like the album is just over half an hour long with none of the tracks clocking it over five minutes. They're intense and to the point. And they're like that improved vocal performance makes all the difference. There's some odd flaws to it. Like I think the the cover art is kind of bizarre. It's done by Andreas Marshall, who is the guy who does like a lot of the Blind Guardian cover arts, like Nightfall in Middle Earth, and it has that slightly weird Blind Guardian-y feel to it, which seems out of place for a band as kind of intense and over the top as Hate Eternal. But maybe it was chosen for like the royalty theme. Because you've noticed, and this will continue, there is an interesting theme between the album titles. So going from Conquering the Throne to King of All Kings. Um, yeah, this seems to be a theme that kind of repeats in uh, Eric's lyrical ideas. But yeah, overall, this was an absolutely amazing album. I was, yeah, really, really floored by the quality of it. And like kind of the precision and intensity of it in 2002 because you've got to remember this is before this is before Niall has teamed up with George Carlias there's like Morbid Angel have put out gateways but this is a more intense listen than that like I can see kind of off the back of this why Hate Eternal sort of had the reputation they did because at this point in time this must have been like a new staple in brutality. And actually, it's quite interesting. Um, uh, in research for this, I was reading a bit of Choosing Death, and hate to turn mentioned there a bit. Particularly, they come out in the section about like the kind of the second wave of death metal. So we're early two thousands here. A lot of the old guard have sort of either gone off and done questionable albums or just not on it as much as they were like the early 2000s aren't a great time for those older death metal bands but there was a lot of stuff like this coming out just showing that actually what you thought was extreme and brutal and death metal was just a precursor to the the extreme intensity in places people can take it and i think eric ruton was always trying to push hate eternal forward um into that realm of ever more brutal, ever more intense. And this album well and truly does that. And while keeping things kind of really catchy and memorable, there's so many great riffs on this uh, this album. I had a real trouble choosing a track to play because just going through all the first four tracks, like, oh, that's got brilliant riffs, and then that one does. And to the point, these are a lot of these songs are still part of their live set list. <laughs>
immediately after that album, there is yet another lineup change with uh, Jared Anderson leaving the band and actually tragically dying a few years later. And he's replaced by uh, Randy Pirro, who, as far as I can tell, was a relatively unknown guy at this time, but like an amazing fingerstyle bass player, an excellent vocalist. So they they once again back in studio for um, their third album, I Monarch. For whatever reason on this album, um, Eric chooses to do all the vocals despite those duties being split live. Also, have you noticed the theme? It's King of All Kings, now it's I Monarch. Lead single off this uh, album is Victorious Reign. Definitely a, a kind of royal theme going on with this band. And for me, I Monarch is the real staple of the Hate Eternal catalogue. It was the, especially for my mind, like going through their albums, I feel there's like two eras and f of Hate Eternal sound. And for me, I Monarch is the absolute peak of that first era. It is once again up things a notch in terms of brutality from King of All Kings. It is an angry, intense album. This time they don't make the mistake of putting an intro on it. The album just bursts straight away into the incredibly intense Two Demons. And, and the album is really front-loaded with great tracks as well. Uh, Two Demons, Behold Judas and The Victorious Reign are all kind of legendary songs for this band. Uh, I'd say Eric's got much better hang of the recording for this one. The drum sound, while completely overpowering and intense, is it doesn't have the problems the previous one has. The sound of this album just feels very much fuller than King of All Kings. They're just This album, actually, I found when I first got into it, because this is the one I was kind of familiar with before this podcast, um, I found it too overpowering when I first bought it as a teenager. It's just there's no real room to breathe. It is wall-to-wall -wall intensity. The, the drums do this incredible thing of... Like, while keeping up, like, near blast beat pace throughout, uh, Derek Roddy will do these great, like, collections of fills that repeat to, to kind of back a riff rather than, rather than just straight blasting. The guitar work has got immensely technical. And something I actually really enjoy about this album is when it goes into the leads, normally with a death metal band of this kind of intensity when you get the lead that is the melodic break that is the moment where you know you get that bit of respite or kind of a nice melody you can latch onto. with this the leads just make it all the more punishing all the more upsetting like they're they're incredibly like evil and discordant sounding and they kind of quite full in the mix so you, you just get this like extra burst of impossible to follow noise i find that the riffing on this album as well has got so hard to follow and really nasty and discordant sounding um also something i, I couldn't believe apparently it's like this is still an analog recording it's not it's not digital which which blows my mind because it's it totally sounds like you know what we would expect to be digital at this point in 2005 you would expect this to all be done kind of through a computer um and yeah it's you know it's got a lot of contemporaries in this year so this is similar time to annihilation the wicked and like 
sort of decapitate his nihility and it fits really neatly with those albums but i would say this is the one that's like most turned up to 11 in terms of intensity doesn't necessarily mean it's the best i mean it, it wouldn't be my personal choice but it is it just an incredibly brutal album for this point in time and the way it's mixed really helps it is definitely like that kind of like sonic punch in the face throughout so this album doesn't ever really slow down or give you much room to breathe but there's a few interesting like flourishes and strange ideas thrown in there uh, track four to know our enemies took me very much by surprise when i first heard it when the kind of like middle eight section there is suddenly a didgeridoo over the riff and as much as that sounds totally stupid it completely works like i i was just i was blown away that that sound fit but it's just this extra massive reverberation the other thing to say about this album is uh although eric's chosen to go alone with the vocals he has once again improved as a vocalist and that, that totally works he has both like a high and a low approach he trades off like in, in a track like the the incredibly catchy behold judas he does this like high refrain to his low like lead vocal and then a track like victorious rain opens with this really like strained higher scream um and his lows have got just more intense as more of like a kind of gravelly rumble to them i yeah I, i'm a real fan of his vocals from this point on so the band is still at eric records at this point don't know how good that would have been for distribution back in 2005 but this was certainly an album that i was well aware of by about 2008 when i was getting into this style and maybe that's helped along by the changing cover artist i feel this is the point where the band sort of got the hang of aesthetic um the the album for this this one is is done by the guy most famous for doing um mastodon's artwork uh paul ramino um you, you know responsible for such incredible covers like mastodon's leviathan and while this is certainly not on par with that in terms of quality it has a bit more of that epicness about it now it wouldn't be my obvious choice for this kind of style but i think this shows like some of the evolution in death metal at this time they're moving away from that kind of dan seagrave aesthetic to something something very very different and it, in truth so the sound has moved away from that as well and yeah this is part of of that evolution there's a few other interesting bits of the album i think worth mentioning there is one or two notable moments where the, the album slows down uh towards the end of it is our will we get this really kind of doomy slowing ending where like the riff gradually decreases in pace and just feels heavier and heavier which will be a bit of a sign of things to come with this band and then we get the the quite out there ending of the faceless one which kind of sounds almost like a sepultura track with that kind of the kind of more simplistic drum groove it's got over the top of it suddenly a kind of more um like a more kind of melodic riff and some interesting bits of lead guitar it's a really cool ending to the album and you know after like what about 38 minutes of pummeling this felt like a good break from that but yeah really solid album start to finish 
they would part ways with drummer Derek Roddy, which is kind of a shame because that guy, I remember in my early years in metal being this kind of legendary figure in extreme metal drumming. But these days you don't tend to hear so much about him. Anyway, the next thing they'd put out is the Perilous Flight live album, which is shot in London, I think, probably early 2006, with uh, drum uh, Reno Killerich filling in, who does a really decent job on this. Um, I think I, I know him mainly for being the drummer on uh, Panzer Christ Soul Collector. But yeah, he's a man who knows his double kick work well. Um, and this is one of those early 2000 DVDs where it's a good recording of the sound, but the like the camera work leaves a lot to be desired, and also it's an interesting point for Hate Eternal to um to do a live DVD because there are only three albums in, which means like the set list is very much focused on you know large chunks of all those albums rather than you know it being that greatest hits thing. Still, like a really interesting kind of capture of that point in time for the band and it's interesting seeing how all the vocals from the previous album suddenly get split between two vocalists rather than just being uh eric rutan performing all of them himself and he's like his front manning is excellent on this like he's constant like this shows the grasp of the death metal voice he's got he constantly talks to the voice in the that his low death metal voice but he's always very clear and understandable despite sounding huge and intense he, he does just sound like some kind of demonic monster ordering the crowd around in this which is exactly what you want from this kind of gig at this point it's probably a decent point to bring up some of the other stuff i sort of discovered about the band that i found interesting one, one thing that surprised me, and I don't know if this is totally true throughout all their work or not, but apparently they tend to do everything tuned to C-sharp, which I thought they'd be, be way lower than that. I, and I guess maybe this is the point in time as well, that thing of, um, you know, the band started up before there were these kind of like seven strings and so on where you could happily drop to as low as A without any real loss in performance. But... Yeah, they, they make C-sharp sound immensely brutal. And yeah, like you'll see for pretty much all their career, Eric Rutten seems to be using a BC-rich Ironbird, which makes him one of the few like people I would hold as a guitar like legend that uses BC-riches, other than obviously like a Chuck from Death with a BC-rich stealth. Like, yeah, I, I can't think of that many. Maybe, maybe I'm completely off base there. The thing that um, I found quite interesting about this band is probably some explanation to that massive like turnover in lineup they have of these guys tour incredibly intensely and showing what a ridiculous workhorse Eric Rutten is. Like he does the majority of the night driving for their tours. He, I've seen numerous interviews where he says he drives almost every day. They have this like kind of custom van they get in. It's you know. These guys are still properly roughing it, like, very DIY touring. I think pretty much up to this day, which is incredible, like, you know, the dedication and hard work they're putting in. Like, every two or three years, they're putting out an album that is has upped their game from the last, like, especially at this early point, they're, they're getting more kind of brutal, fast and technical with each release, so clearly working on their their playing chops like mad but at the same point in time 2006 um 
he would put out he would like record and work with Cannibal Corpse and Goat Whore. Cannibal Corpse putting out their their album Kill, which I personally still feel is one of Cannibal Corpse's best albums to date, if not the best. I, I know obviously a divisive issue. There's a lot of a lot of classics in the Cannibal Corpse catalogue. But it shows like he's really mastering his craft as a studio guy. Um because that album sounds absolutely amazing. And also getting a reasonable degree of respect if he could as much as we know he must have some relationship with Alex Webster to have him as sort of guest bass player um like it was it's amazing he's getting the respect of labels are trusting him to record bands as big as a cannibal corpse this brings us on to their fourth uh, studio album fury and the flames from 2008 so once again the lineup's kind of in flux um Obviously, the the drummer from the Perilous Flight was just a guest, so Eric needed a full time replacement, and he found that in the form of uh, Jade Cemento, who is a young Canadian drummer. Who then this is like showing the point in time had been posting drum covers himself on the internet, and Eric had seen these and gone, "Bloody hell, this guy can play all the stuff!" So flew him out to Manor Studios. They jammed a few songs and. He apparently was like immediately seen as a good fit for the band. Uh, so, also the lineup is then fleshed out by a return of Sean Kelly from the uh, Ripping Corpse days as second guitar. So I think this is the only. I could be wrong. We'll see if I, I've got this right or not in a minute. Uh, I think this is the the only album barring conquering the throne to have a second guitarist. And then finally, we get the return of Alex Webster as guest bass player. Now that is quite an exciting lineup, and it's a shame to say this is an album I remember being quite negatively received at the time. Like it, it wasn't so much like oh, this album is total shit or anything like that. Particularly not from the kind of you kind of metal hammer terrorizer type press but it was more a kind of general feeling of like uh our hate eternal just going through the motions on this one like is this is this them now treading water which i think is kind of overly harsh because while fear in the flames doesn't feel like much of an evolution from my monarch it's it, it is in a very similar mold um like the sound of the album isn't great, like really noticeably different. There, there are some tweaks to it which I think work nicely. Um, the kind of song structures have a similar feel. But that being said, we get some absolutely brilliant kind of tracks like uh, "Parabellum" or "Bringer and Storms" are absolutely like furious blasting tracks. But then there is stuff in the second half of the album like a fury within kind of feels a bit like a more technical later cataclysm i think basically of the seven albums this and the first one were the two where i can't see myself massively revisiting it not because it's bad but it's just because it's not as good as other stuff they've done they've done this is not their absolute like peak of their their career the other thing i mentioned is um there's kind of two eras to Hate Eternal, from what I can tell. There's two very distinct sounds. And I feel Fury in the Flames is the final release in that first kind of wave of their sound. They're 
they're, they're kind of upping the brutality every single album um thing they were doing this is the end of that and what would happen next i think is where stuff gets really interesting there are a few things like well worth uh checking out on this actually the second to last track uh tombu is actually absolutely brilliant and does stuff that surprised me it has this it has this section in the middle where after like first two minutes kind of feeling relatively in line with the rest of the album it goes into something that kind of feels almost slightly Gorguts inspired like there, there's some very interesting uh melodic stuff going on there and then we get the like it flows from that really nicely into this kind of like faux orchestral outro of uh Coronarch which even features like guest operatic vocals yeah just it's it's not their it's not their peak, but it is by no means a shit album as I've seen like some reviews kind of show. There there is there is a lot to this. It's just this for me is the first album we've seen of theirs where they haven't evolved and massively stepped up from the last album. They've just done something more or less in the same mould. Phoenix Amongst the Ashes. We 
The band are still with Metal Blade Records for this one, but there is yet another lineup change with loss of uh, Sean on guitars back to a three piece again with JJ. Oh, I'm going to fuck this up so badly. Harubavak uh, taking up bass duties. He's previously known for doing some work with Monstrosity, Vile, Azure Remote, among a few few other bands. Um, and he is just again just credited with bass. I think Eric Rutan has firmly cemented himself as lead vocalist for live performance for studio performances at any rate. Um, yes, yeah, so Phoenix Amongst the Ashes is, as I say, I believe the start of the second era of Hate Eternal. The three albums that follow are are all basically way more dynamic. Um, there's a lot. There's a lot of the old sounds still there. They've not changed to a different band or anything. It's just a case of we've suddenly got massive changes in pace. We've suddenly got epic atmospheric moments in the songs. There's some real differences. Like the so the solos are suddenly like these brilliant. Uh, melodic flourishes rather than these like intense discordant assaults on the senses there's just some there's a real different sense about this album to the ones before and that's totally shown in the like the rebirth into the eternal ruler intro to the album this slow burning minute long build until we fall into like you know the full-on blast beats of that track proper um eternal ruler is an absolutely incredible track and with that that kind of build up into it perfect intro to the album now i don't think like hate eternal have gone like slow or accessible on us they they are still a massively intense band but there just is way more ideas on display with this album um the track five the art of redemption dives into almost like origin explosion of fury territory with its super fast shredding like lick at the start that's panned to like both sides of your headphones while the bass does something incredibly fast in the middle like i actually noticed on this album more so than ever like jj is like quite present as a bass player and this will be something to continue in their sound like i think again with eric rudin's continuing skills as a as a recording guy like He's found room in their massive, like, wall of double kicks and, like, multi-layer guitars. Sorry about that random screaming on the recording. You're, there isn't a ghost in your house. Mel's just getting very into Spyro the Dragon in the other room. Yeah, anyway, so back, back into Phoenix Amongst the Ashes. Um, yeah, there, there's a load of really amazing moments in it. Um, so, like, the title track is just a great example of hate eternal doing what they do best tracks like death veil are kind of like leaning back towards the the old imonic style but then the the amazing closer the fire of resurrection is not something i'd believe possible from the band at that point in time like uh, like it's this brilliant like melodic epic with this slowly building like snare roll building up this kind of slow epic riff with these beautiful passages of of lead guitar over the top a lot of like slow paced octave chords while the drumming and riffing gets more intense yeah just a really amazing closer to an otherwise like 
absolutely solid album. The, the title is so apt for the band, the Phoenix Amongst the Ashes. This really, um, yeah, felt like a kind of a resurrection, especially because their previous album was kind of maligned and, you know, they'd had a great deal of lineup changes. This was suddenly like Hate Eternal having that like, second life, really, of they, they've morphed into a similar but subtly quite different band and have suddenly become more relevant than they kind of ever were in the early 2000s into the like into the last decade So the next album we see yet more changes for the band. This uh, this brings us up to 2015 with their sixth album, Infernus. Uh, the drummer is once again replaced with young deathcore drummer Jason Westmoreland, who I think at this point in time is probably most famously in Oceano, a band I don't really know much about. I don't, I'm not too much of an expert on my deathcore stuff. They moved to Seasons of Mist for this late uh, for this one. So once again, working their way around some legendary labels and continuing their running game of showing off their ridiculously talented drummers. Uh, yeah, this this album, Jason opens his album in fantastic fashion with the Locust Swarm, where he's just doing that that kind of thing we saw like Derek Roddy doing on earlier albums of just like fill after fill kind of built into an immense riff um the this album i'd say immediately came off as more intense than phoenix amongst the ashes it has more of those um just brutal 
pounding death metal moments. Um, but there, once again, there is still more going on here. The thing I think this album actually really sort of signified to me was Eric Rutan finally getting the perfect sound for this band. Like, this is by far and away the best the band have ever sounded tonally. Well, I don't think this is necessarily a high pe- a high point for them in terms of albums. Um, the this, the tone is now in place, and they are set to sound fucking brilliant from now on. And, and while it's not necessarily the high point, it doesn't mean it's a bad album by any stretch of the imagination. There is there is some just brilliant, brutal technical death metal on here. The first four songs are just a total like pummeling like assault but then we get something really interesting in the title track uh infernus which starts out much slower and then has this this section three minutes in which is just utter genius much like uh the end to the the previous album it's this nut this other slightly slow burning section that just gradually builds up to something fucking incredible but playing with empty space again much like in Phoenix Monks the Ashes giving moments for things to breathe and progress whereas the previous albums were far more kind of just balls to the wall blasting throughout like this has bits where parts slow down something I hadn't actually mentioned like so the title rap from the previous album, and I think the Locust Swarm sort of features this early on, is while they're doing fast stuff, there's still this other element of, like, they'll let one guitar part slow down while one guitar part, the drums and bass, still, you know, going off doing their technical thing. One guitar part will slow down, and it's where that sense of atmosphere and melody that was less present on their older albums really comes to the fore because there's now this quite clear memorable thing to latch onto and for me this is why the last three hate eternal albums suddenly have an epicness and intensity to them that the well not so much intensity sorry like an epicness and a kind of more emotional depth than the previous ones had i've got to admit these three i connected with a lot more um there's some fun stuff towards the end as well. The The second to last track, uh, Chaos Theory, is a really interesting instrumental. Just some amazing ideas thrown together on that track. Although it has something I can't understand. There's like a 10 second long fade out for it with just a random symbol tap in the middle of it that totally feels like someone left in a mistake, which is ridiculous at this point in Eric's career. But yeah, that, that's a that's a kind of... A small aside. Overall, this is a really decent release from Hate Eternal. The only problem with it is, I think, possibly a touch overly long at forty-five minutes. It's it's their longest album by by a good five minutes at this at that length, and maybe that was a touch too much. But they they nail so much else on it. Also, we see uh, a switch in. Um, cover artist for this one the the cover was drawn by the, the guy who um who did size uh like kind of really good album covers like air to despair and uh insomnophobia uh eloran cantor who is a really fantastic up-and-coming artist um yeah he also did uh harking back to two episodes ago he did gut slits amphitheater 
um, yeah, I'm a real big fan of this guy's style, and this cover totally suits um, what Hate Eternal are going for. I think it's a really solid album cover that I won't go too much off on because I think the next one does an even better job. So that brings us to Hate Eternal's most recent album to date. Still on Seasons of Mist, this is 2018's Upon Desolate Sands. Once again, yet another switch in drummer, but you know, JJ's still there, Eric's still there, it's all been done in the studio. This feels like a direct continuation to where Infernus left off, but just everything is stepped up a notch. And it gives me so much pleasure to do one of these deep dives in this way where we get to end on a real high. For my money, uh, having gone through the whole discography at length over the last week or so, this is without question the high point. Um, as brilliant as all the other drummers they've worked with are, um, Hannes Grossman was definitely like an X factor to this album. And I think so, I was reading interviews, I was saying, so Hannes is a 
incredible musician himself. He he owns his own studio. He's also a recording artist. Um, I believe he owns a studio. Could be wrong on that. And you know, we're we're now in that age where bands can happily record. You know, so far apart like this. Hannes is a a German musician, most famed for his work with stuff like Alkaloid and Obscura, but myriad other projects. I mean, he's now in Triptychon. Like the guy is we've spoken a lot about him on this podcast like he's absolutely incredible but that extra dimension the the sound on this album is incredible like utterly just you know modern extreme brutal death metal perfection there's so many memorable and amazing moments um the the opener the violent fury starts off as you would imagine a song called that by Hate Eternal would start off much like Infernus this album knows just to dive straight in with it but in the second half of it there's moments where the bass really shines through which again as I said it wasn't something we'd really seen with this band before and I think JJ is easily like the best bass player they've had for their sound like despite having Alex Webster with them twice like he never worked quite as well for the band as he as he does there Eric Rutten's vocals have settled into this absolutely brilliant sound. This is an interesting thing you see actually with a band like this where we go from a guy's like early days of doing vocals to, well, the guy is on this album, I think, 47? Like, he's, you know, he's been around for a while and you can just, you can hear the way his vocal cords have changed. Like, he now has this much more, like, throaty low rumble of a growl and it it's it's incredible but he's got such enunciation in it the guy does just have a brilliant voice um stuck with the same album artist and why uh album cover artist sorry um i want to say that this album cover is like this absolutely epic like biblical kind of picture it fits so well with that aesthetic they've been working on and if you compare this to looking back at stuff like king of all kings it's so brilliant to see the band like having everything in the right place um i really like their continuation with the sort of melodic lead guitar thrown in occasional places moments like vengeance strike if and all hope destroyed have these proper like 70s inspired solos and if you ever listen to Eric Rutan interviewed whenever he's asked about what bands he really loves it's always like Judas Priest and Iron Maiden a Slayer in there as well like seem to be his really his really big things and um there's bits of that shining through on this like between the amazing technical guitar work apparently as well with this album he moved to a seven string although I wouldn't say I've noticed a massive change in tuning between this and the last. Maybe possibly had the seven string for the previous one. But um, the, the other thing sort of that's continued as a vein in these last three albums is the kind of sludgy slower riff. There's points where the band really slow down for a nasty doomy bit. And it uh, for me it works so well like it really kind of focuses my attention gives me a, like, i love having that change of pace in a death metal album um yeah so this has apparently his all-time favorite solo and and song to play in general actually in the form of all hope destroyed which i definitely throw out there as like the if you want to show someone hate eternal 
go for that song because that is like the pinnacle of what what the sound they're expected that you would expect from the band like kind of sound that's remained constant throughout but that is them just utterly perfecting it it's going to be really interesting to see where they go from upon desolate sands because i really think they are at a kind of like zenith but then again they have kept topping things like the the kind of in this kind of past run they keep upping their game and and because eric is in charge of the recording of it we're in this position where they they can keep making a sound this no one else's deadline gets in the way of it. It's just his work ethic. There's an interesting bit in that interview in Choosing Death where he sort of said something along the lines of like, and this was back, uh, I think, before Infernus, um, where he was like, I want to make I want to make 10 albums. I'm going to make 10 great albums where I keep up in my game and then I'm going to slack off. So, fingers crossed, we've got another three of this level of quality. But yeah, this this one just like, just gradually improves on everything from the last like it's slightly shorter it's just under 40 minutes which again for music this intense i think is a really good length it stops your attention wandering like it doesn't become kind of too much you you just have you can just really sit in this experience and actually like a couple of the previous albums uh the thing i really like from them is throwing in some real surprises towards the end we have um in the title track upon desolate sands feels like some proper kind of iphallic era uh, nile worship complete with these like epic clean female vocals over this kind of slow building riff over really fast double kick work in that kind of nile like phrygian dominant hungarian minor kind of scale uh riffing yeah i i feel that that really works for the band and then finally we have the amazing um instrumental for those we have lost at the end which just like another beautifully constructive instrumental passage with this amazing piece of lead guitar work in it apparently as well like this is absolutely incredible this solo in uh whom we have lost it was recorded in one take like it's just yeah, that bottled lightning of he just he was just able to go in and pull off exactly what he wanted to do. Um, something like an interesting bit of trivia from this era, which is always takes like amazing me, is in twenty eighteen when this album came out, Hannes Grossman was on seven other studio albums, uh, including stuff like Alkaloid. And looking back at this, I a couple I really need to check out, like. Uh, a power metal band called Eternity's End that features him, uh, Phil Tugas, uh, Christian Munzer, and Michael Lepond, the bass player of Symphony X. I don't know why I've never looked them up. And another tie-in with uh, the previous couple of episodes, he was also on the Fractured Dimension, which features uh, uh, Vishal Singh of Amog Symphony. So I, another one I've got to go out and check out more of... Um, of Hannes Grossman, I can't believe the amount of legendary albums he was on over over this kind of couple of year period. The guy is really becoming one of the greats of modern drumming. I could happily go on about Upon Desolate Sands for longer, but I think I'll call it there. I've got the point across. I, I, I really believe this was Hate Eternal reaching their peak, at least their peak so far. So yeah, um, with this one, hit me up and let me know what you think, because... 
it was a bit weird to kind of just try and get in a headspace of a band I didn't know, but I, I feel I've got my head around what Hate Turner are about, and, and I've certainly become much more of a fan of them, especially that, that last, that, that sort of second arc to their career, I really think is, has delved into something really interesting, and uh, I'm becoming more and more of a fan of Eric Rutten's work, and just amazed as guys, you know, he's going to be 50 next year, and is showing no signs of slowing down or, or you know, resting on past successes. He still seems to be challenging himself and working that hard, driving through the night, uh, like still touring like like a like someone in their twenties would. The the um, no, well, actually, in this meantime, I forgot to mention he's joined Cannibal Corpse as their touring guitarist. So. While writing amazing albums like this, he has also picked up the entire Cannibal Corpse headline set as second guitarist. Well, actually, not second guitarist. He's he's taking over from Paso Brian. Uh, so he's he's doing those solos as well. It's just yeah, the the guy is an incredibly gifted guitarist, and I think he's famed as much. But the kind of thing that actually really jumped out to me um, was. I don't think he's credited enough as actually being a really solid death metal vocalist. Like, he has got some incredible skills in that regard. I guess he's just always on stage with people like Dave Vincent and Jobs Corpsegrinder. Like, between Corpsegrinder and Dave Vincent, those are two are like, many people would hold up as the absolute greats. So I guess you're always going to be second place to those guys. And at this point in time, he's recorded, like, recorded or produced or mixed, like, well over a hundred albums, many of them have gone on to be some kind of classics, and we'll see what happens in the future. But yeah, I, I'm really, I'm really interested to see where Hate Eternal go from this point. I, I, you know, they're normally getting an album out once every three or four years, so hopefully we'll see another release from them in the not too distant future. And I'd be amazed if it isn't still at this absolute level of high quality, really still attempting to push the boundaries of that kind of the more extreme end of death metal so yeah uh, hit me up and let me know what you thought about this one or if you've got requests for other deep dives like uh there's something enjoyable about doing this like really just delving deep into a band in this way is is an interesting listening experience so yeah if you want to get in touch um philsbreakfastmetal at gmail.com at breakfastmetal on twitter or um Phil's Breakfast Metal on Facebook. I uh, hopefully should respond to you in a reasonable time if you message any of those. Um, yeah, uh, also, if you want to hear more of me, um, it was recently into the Combine's 100th episode, and they very uh, kindly had me on to um, to introduce them to some avant-garde black metal, which was, was an interesting experience and a really fun recording. Um and congratulations to those guys for making it to a hundred episodes. It's a real, a real incredible achievement for an excellent podcast. So yeah, if you you're not already listening to them, I definitely advise checking them out and jumping on their Patreon because their uh, their Patreon group is my favourite sort of metal forum I've ever come across. Anyway, uh, yeah, as I say, let me know what you think. Thanks a lot for listening.